don't have a tie to clip this on. That'd be the tie. No, I don't give him, I don't give him that much air time. Um, all right, that was actually very. Early. Were you expecting me to say that? No. Nope. No, that was amazing. Wow. Hey, let's do something. Let's pray. What? I I don't know. Probably not enough coffee. Father, we do thank you for this time together. We we um, we look forward to this uh, during the week to be together to study your word and to um, taste and see that the Lord is good in all areas of Scripture. We thank you that uh, you have provided for us pictures of what you've done for us in Christ, and you've done that very clearly in Exodus and this study that we're doing through the laws of the temple and the service that is required and, uh, of the priests and how you've consecrated them. And the picture that you give us of what you've done for us and to us and are doing to us by your Spirit because of the person and work of Jesus. And we, we want to love him more, trust him more, honor him with the way we live from the heart, not as a means of conforming to some external code because that's the circle we run in, but because we love him from the heart. So we ask that you make us faithful to do that. Only you can change the heart. And so we, again, thank you for the gift of your grace in our lives. We thank you for the work of Christ in our hearts, and we pray that you do it to us and continue to grow us into the image of Jesus, not only individually, but corporately, because you're calling a people to yourself who are zealous for good works, works that proceed from the heart and not for um, an idea of, of gaining favor with you, but because of what you've done for us in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, we are trucking along through Exodus 29. We've been... Um, we've been looking at the consecration of the priesthood, especially the high priest. And we've been most recently looking at the first installation of the high priest, Aaron and his, and his sons, Aaron being the high priest, his sons being the, the ordinary priest. And the start of that from uh, Mount Sinai, God's instruction to Moses on how to begin and consecrate the priesthood. Um, Today we look at something interesting. Um, the view of the priesthood doesn't stop with the most immediate need. The view of the priesthood doesn't stop with Aaron and his sons. But God has a long-range vision. This is to be something that is carried out throughout all of Israel, throughout their generations. And he is uh, impressing upon Moses and, and presumably on Aaron and, and his sons the idea that it's not just about your time here that they are building something, that they are working in something that goes beyond them to the future, right? Uh, let's look at uh, Exodus 29, 26, and we're going to read through verse 37. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination from what was Aaron's and his son's. 
And it shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them seven days. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration, but an outsider shall not eat of them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh for the ordination or the, of the bread remain until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons, according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days shall you ordain them, and every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. So what do you make of that? How does it start? Who gets the wave offering? Aaron and his sons? Who gets the wave offering? Who's he talking to? I think all the priests. It's interesting here, we're at the very first ceremony of ordination. And what did you say? I saw you mouth it. You, come on. It, it, it was for Moses. That's exactly right. This is the first ordination uh, of Aaron and his sons, consecrated the priesthood. The mediator of this ordination, the minister of this ordination, is Moses. So he gets the, the, the breast piece for the wave offering. But in doing that, he demonstrates to them how they are to be compensated for their service as priests. Moses gets the first one because he's doing the work of, the min of ministry to them. When they're priests, they're going to be doing work of ministry and different rituals. And the of the peace offering, the priests get food. They get pieces of the offering, the, the breast piece and certain pieces that have been consecrated for that purpose. And they get bread that's left in a basket. These are set apart. They're reserved for Moses. He receives it because he's officiating... And he's in charge of the ordination ceremony. Later, this is to be used for food for the priest and his family. And you see this clarified in, in verses uh, 27 through 28. What is the one thing that separates the high priest from the rest of Israel in his outward appearance? What's the one thing? Well, the, the, I say one thing. The garments, thank you. Generally, yes. The ephod is one of those. He has a crew cut? What? Um, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a vague question, sorry. It's, a, it's the whole package, the garments, the stuff on the outside. Um, these are garments that are to be given when? When does it say these garments? After their 
after, well, yes, that's the part of the ceremony. But later on in this passage, what we're looking at today, he get, these same garments are given to the descendants, right? And we see a picture of this. Whenever Aaron is, uh, is old, God says, you're going to die in about 38 hours. Uh, go take Aaron and take his son to this mountain, Moses, strip him of the clothes, and then pass it on to his son. All that, he, all that had made Aaron distinct as high priest is taken away and given to the next guy, his son in this case. They're unique clothes that are passed down to Aaron's sons so that they can be anointed in them. The same ceremony happens again with the new high priest. The new high priest is to wear them for seven days. I have a pair of jeans that I used to work on the farm. And uh, if I don't wash those jeans often, the, our room will, will have a smell. <laughs> Tammy says, what's that smell? And it's those jeans that are now hardened enough that I could stand up in the corner. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine wearing the same garments for seven days. And remember, they're, these are getting sprinkled with blood and the stuff, and it's nasty for seven days. Um, that'd be a little ripe. But that's part of it. The garments are worn for seven days. It's an initiation of sanctifying this new high priest. Every high priest who walks into that office has a mindset toward the day he will be taken out with his successor and the robes are removed and given to another. What's the picture? Nothing is forever and we need to be looking for those who follow us now. Training them, pouring into them, this is how we do this office. This is how we do this duty. This is how we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's always, even at this age, <clears throat> various ranges of ages in here, uh, we need to be looking at the, the generation behind us. Training. It's not about us. It's about the continuity of right hearts before God carrying on the work of the ministry, building up the church in love. That's what it's about. Not what we get here. Not Anyway, do we have that long-range vision where our daily little things are long-range? Um, I hear a lot of really the, the, the celebrity pastors talk about um, thinking about that, passing the mantle down. And, and that's true for leadership, but I, I think it's true for everybody. Whether it's uh, kids or someone who is younger in the faith than you, we need to be about meeting with others, pouring into them, and being poured into one-to-ones. Again, I will promote it yet again. If you're not actively involved in, a, in meeting with someone weekly, going through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, talking it through, what strikes you, what questions does it raise, how is this challenging me where I am right now? If we're not doing that, if we're not having true Christian fellowship on that, we're not investing in, the, in those after us. We're not doing this. 
that's Christian community. That's Christian fellowship. Getting around a bunch of people that we like and like to hang around with, you know, and talk about whatever, that's not Christian fellowship. That's just having a good time. Worldlings do that. Christian fellowship involves the person and work of Christ impressing upon us being conformed to his image more and more and more, challenging each other, building each other up uh, into maturity. That's what's going on here. That's the picture here. There's a mantle being passed. There are garments being passed from one generation to the next. And it's very intentional. What happens next? Verses 31 through 34. What's going on? A meal. They finally get to eat. Why are they eating? What's the picture here? When a ritual like this is concluded, it's normal for the participants to sit down and have a meal together. And it's generally based off of, there, there are several different sacrifices in Leviticus, and, and we will get there. Um, one of the, the, the big culmination sacrifices is called the peace offering. And at the end of the peace offering, there is a meal. We're at peace with God. We sit with Him and we eat and He is by uh, means of the sacrifice that's left, the, the fatted stuff that's on it that goes up as a sweet-smelling aroma to God. He is, in essence, eating. That's the picture anyway. God is eating with the priest. And it's at the end of this peace offering. So you have this whole ceremony of this ordination of the high priest and there's a sacred meal. Central to that meal is food that's been consecrated on the altar. It's been made holy. And they're eating holy food as holy men that have been made holy by God's means. Fellowship with God by means of celebrating God's good favor because of his acceptance of the sacrifice. The participants to this meal are restricted. Yes? Not just anyone can come in here and eat this food. What's that a picture of? If you're going to come into Christian fellowship and have true fellowship, it has to be on God's terms. If you're going to come and have right communion with God, it's based upon what He has done. Right? Those, there's a picture in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where um, he has to go through the wicket gate. I always say wicked gate. It's the wicket gate. Uh, and, and as he's going on the road, there's a guy that tries to hop the fence. He's not going to make it, and, and you've got to go through God's means. You've got to go through repentance, true repentance, true faith in Jesus, not by our own means. And so these guys have gone through the ordination that God has given. They are now ordained as priests, and they can eat the holy food that is made holy by the altar. And it says outsiders cannot eat this food. What, is it, what do they mean outsiders? Which outsiders? Those who aren't of the priesthood. Three ways this term outsiders or strangers is used. Foreigners. Um, there, there were those who were uh, not part of the tribe of Levi. Danites can't eat this food. Danites can't do this because they're strangers. But also those who are of Levi but are not priests. Right. And that's kind of what's in view here, I think, is the... Um, is the third, the third thing, those who aren't of the priests. Um, not only is it restricted to certain participants, but it's restricted to a certain time. 
how long do they have to eat this food? Until the next day. Now there's um, four of them, five of them with Aaron at this point. Um, how much food can you eat in a given meal? Bulls, double daves. That would be a good, uh, whatever's left over, of course. Pass the ram, please. Um, there, there should. I would think that with uh, the few guys that are here, that there would be a lot left over. But as the priesthood grows, it'd probably be uh, less and less. But you have in view that whenever um, the, the 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 time is up, the food that is given here, the food that they're they're eating, it's too sacred to be kept in the fridge for leftovers. It's not to be eaten at other times. It's for this purpose, for this time before God as a fellowship. Does this remind you of any other meal that we have studied in Exodus? Please tell me, what, what, what does it remind you of? Passover. And we talked about that a little bit last week. But you see it again here. You, in Passover, we have an atonement by means of a substitute. Um, if it's not fluffy, it's going to be your brother. Is that, uh, is that the way? Uh, if, if we don't kill the lamb, it's going to be the firstborn son. There's an atonement made. Then there's blood smeared, and those who are in the house under the blood are saved. They're sanctified. They're set apart. And then there's means of a meal that shows right relationship with the God who is judging everyone else. Right? It's the same thing here. We have an atonement made. There's blood everywhere. Seven days of blood. And then there is a meal that is shared between these priests and God. And this whole thing, the entire installation ceremony, ends with a command for this to last a week. Why a week? Now granted, it's involved, but why a week? Three sacrifices, three animals. It doesn't take long to kill an animal. It takes a little longer to clean them. But why a week? What's going on there? Okay. A parallel to creation. A parallel to creation, a, an idea of completeness. Yes. Also, kind of from the practical side, this is uh, an inauguration, the new guy who's taking the, the place of the old guy. So it's, you know, for everybody to see, if it was just a quick thing, then you're kind of like, oh, wait, what happened? But if it's seven days, it's a big deal. It's a big celebration. Right. It's, you know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it makes an impression upon the congregation. This is a big deal. Um, this is the high priest. He's an important guy. He's going before God, for you, for the nation. He's got to be holy. He's got to be set apart. And this is the means that God has determined to make that happen. It's a big deal. So yeah, I think all of those are valid reasons. There's a picture of creation, the completeness of, of, of what God has done, resting on the Sabbath. There, that idea of completeness, again, we see that in a lot of other areas. And it's a big deal. Um, it underscores the importance of those who are set apart to stand between the people and God. They're holy, they're different, they're set apart. Um, there's another reason that he gives for seven days. What, what, what else is going on every day for seven days here? 
what sacrifice? The bull. It's a it's a it's a sin offering, um, a a uh, an offering of uh, of acceptance before God. Why sacrifice a bull every day for seven days? That's an awful lot of money. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. What's the purpose? What's the, what is this bull sacrifice going toward? What is it making holy? The altar. The altar. Seems to be. Why? This is furniture that God has ordained, that He has set up, that He has set in His temple, and yet the altar has to be made holy? Isn't it holy already just by its shape, its form, its purpose? Why does it need to be made holy? Okay, there's a new priest. So we've got to start over. This may be a stretch, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, it's always an ominous beginning to an answer. Christ on the cross. You okay. Of Christ as the sacrificial lamb. Okay. Christ was the lamb on the altar. But you think about who was it that sacrificed Christ? It was God. Okay. It's almost as if the foundation that's holding the lamb, the altar, is God the Father. Maybe that has. That's very Alexandrian. Yes, that's very. That's an. Yeah, that's a little. <laughs> may, there may be. I'm not saying that that's not a, uh, a valid point generally. I'm not saying that it's not. Yes, I'm double negativing it, um, that, which is also a verb. Um, I, I, I don't know that we get that from here. I don't know that we get that from here. What, Who does the, the offering now in those seven days? Uh, it would be the priest. Well, in this case, Moses starting off. Okay. But, uh, but it would be the, the, pre, the, the mediator, the transferring guy. Would be doing this offering. Um, you mean uh, like if it was Aaron passing on to his son, it would be Aaron doing it? Yeah, as they're, as they're well, that's a good question. Both. It doesn't say, but probably both. It's a training thing, yeah. Um, I'd have to I'd have to look at the uh, at, at some at some more Jewish literature, and I just haven't had time to translate the Hebrew, so um, <laughs> or, or learn Hebrew. Um, so here here's an interesting thing. Nothing in the created order. Uh, have you seen Hebrew? It looks like Elvish language. Um, you look at the back of Tolkien's books. You look at the. That's uh, the same. Uh, anyway. I don't understand that either. It sounds pretty. Uh, nothing in the created order is holy in and of itself. Nothing is nothing is holy in and of itself. The altar is made of earthly stuff. It's made of wood. It's got gold. That's kind of cool. But it's not holy. Uh, it's got uh, it's got uh, lots of different parts, um, and who else? Who, who made it? So if it starts neutral, humans touch it. Boy, there's a net negative. So now we've got something not only that's not holy, that's common, but now because of the influence of sinful man, it is now profaned. So you started with something that wasn't holy to start with, and man touches it and makes it. It was neutral. Now it's negative, and God's going to do something through means of these sacrificial bulls, what does he label it at the end of the passage? How, what is he? Most holy. Most holy? And it's like even more holy than before the men touched it because now whatever touches it becomes holy. Instead of it becoming unclean. Instead of what touches it making it unclean, it makes what touches it holy. That's interesting. That makes 
You think? I think it's a good, that's a great analogy. Where is this located, this altar? It's in the courtyard. So remember, some, some who are talking about the temple being, some of the smart guys talk about the Holy of Holies, that, that there's this idea of the picture of all of cosmos in the temple, that in the Holy of Holies it's the heaven we don't see, and the holy place it's the heaven we do see, and then out in the courtyard it's supposed to be like earth, right? That's kind of the, the, the smart guys kind of think of it that way. Where's the altar? The altar is associated with, if that's true, if that analogy is right, the altar is associated with earth. In fact, it uses the term pour blood at the foundation of the altar. The people see it. It's a common to everyone. Everybody goes into the temple. They're going to see. They're going to be able to see the altar. If they're in trouble, they can grab the horns of the altar for asylum. So you have this idea of it being very physical, very earthly. The idea of uh, foundation of the altar, the foundation of mountains, foundation of the earth. That word foundation is used for a lot of times of, of earthly things. It's very common. It's not holy. It's profaned by man. And yet what God does here makes it most holy. That term most holy, that we translate most holy, is actually a combination of terms. One is holy of, and then the other term is holiest. Holy of holiest, or holy of holies. What does that sound like? That sounds like the very inner sanctuary, doesn't it? So you have what is most holy, where God dwells. That holiness made somewhere outside in the, the, wow, in the earth, right? If that's the picture, he takes the inside and brings it out among what is common. The altar is made of earthly material. It's not sacred. It cannot be used for sacrifice unless it is set apart and consecrated. It's not holy unless God declares it holy by the means he is given. But obedience to his command of consecration leads to him declaring the altar not just holy, but most holy. So, this, it's, it has a contagious holiness. Is that what that is? I'm going to catch it. Touch it. No, that's not really what's going on here. It's not a contagious holiness. No common or profane thing is to touch the altar. You can't allow people from the tribe of Dan to touch it unless they're for that specific purpose of asylum. Um, and I don't know why I'm picking on the Danites this morning. Uh, only the priests, only the priests who are holy are to come near it. What is common is not to come near it. All right. There are two other things we're going to look at next week that are, that are wrapping up this ordination ceremony. Um, but, but we'll stop here for now. Because, you know, I've got three minutes. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, incidentally, notice what the author of Hebrews is calling real. 
how does he determine reality? The stuff we can touch, feel, taste, smell, hear. Of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Even the priests aren't being made perfect. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, listen to this, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. Common. Common. A body you have prepared for me by his own means. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for, of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 13.10, real quickly. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. The writer of Hebrews is talking to Christians, some of which are Jews, who because of their faith in Christ have been kicked out of the temple. Culturally no longer accepted to be in the presence of God. But the author of Hebrews points them to greater benefits than those to be gained from acceptance in their culture. The food from the altar of the first covenant is material. You could eat the breast of the goat and be filled for a while. What happens? Well, if you're just eating meat and vegetables, you get hungry. I know that from recent dietary adventures that Tammy and I have had. Um, you get hungry quickly. But... The food from the greater covenant is who? It's Christ himself. I get hungry again eating barbecue, but he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. It sets a person apart in the culture to be satisfied in Christ and not hungering and hungering and hungering again from what society says is important and will satisfy. To return to lust, fame, money, power, being right all the time, being made much of, that you, you go back to that again and again and again. You get hungry for that again. It doesn't satisfy. But not hungering after those things, being satisfied in Jesus, that, that sets you apart. People look at you a little weird doing that. 
He takes what is common and declares it holy by means of his own blood. You know the word saint that's used in the New Testament a lot? What, what does that mean? What does that mean? Saint. Set apart, Set apart or consecrated. consecrated or, what's another word, H word, four letter word? Holy one, yes. We would do great <laughs> at, just, at gestures. Okay, holy one. In our natural state, we are common. Even more so, we're profane, right? For us to be called saints or a holy one, the work of God must have taken place in that person's heart. It's God's work. God declares it holy. It is God who changes a person at their core from common to holy. It's His work, and it is to His glory and His honor that it's done. So it got me thinking. The altar of the heart. What has God done in the heart? His work in the heart. Um, do we swear or boast by our works? Our particular bent of theology? Or do we boast in the work of God on the altar of our heart? Has your heart been made holy? That's, of course, the first question. Has what God has declared, is it, has He declared your heart holy by His means of sanctifying it? What, plenty of people um, are, have not been made holy. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. A lot of external conformity goes on, but the heart is far from me. The altar hasn't been sanctified. Uh, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. External conformity saves no one. But, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, fellowship with God, eat with God. How is the heart made pure? It's made pure by the means that God gives. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The Holy Spirit tells us that through Paul. Notice that it is not, quote, all the Reformed creeds from 1689 forward. That does not make you holy. Notice that it doesn't say, sell everything you have and move to Uzbekistan to serve orphans. That doesn't make you holy. The heart is made pure by being in contact with the person and work of Christ. We touch Him. We grab hold of Him. We hold on to Him. He is Lord and is to be obeyed as Lord. He is raised, which means he first died and was buried for our sins. Are things sacrificed there in your heart? Remember the parable of the man that was uh, forgiven a lot of debt by um, the king? And he, in gracious words, immediately went out and found somebody who owed him a few dollars and tried to choke the guy to death to get the money out of him? <clears throat> 
the king threw that guy in jail and the tormentors until the debt was paid, which would be never, which again is another analogy why I think hell is eternal and not something we just burn up and you're done. Um, and he says this thing at the end of it, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What is sacrifice on your heart? What is sacrifice on the altar of your heart? The work that proceeds from the heart, even if it looks good on the outside, is not holy unless it is laid out on the altar that has been made holy. All of our works, all the things we can quote, all the things we do, it's not holy unless it proceeds from a heart that has been made holy. Does that make sense? Have I kicked this horse enough? I'm going to kick it some more. The heart isn't changed. What we do matters nothing. The knowledge that proceeds from the heart, even if it's true, is not holy unless the heart is made holy. An expensive and good-looking bull remained a bunch of bull unless it was sacrificed on a holy altar. Are our hearts holy? Hopefully they'll be on Facebook someday. I don't know. <laughs> do the doctrines we espouse, do the works that we prize, flow from a heart set apart by God? Is Christ enough? Are we laying down our lives on His altar or our own? Any comments, any questions on that? We're running a little low on time. Yes, ma'am. Well, I just think it's interesting that point of if the altar of your heart's not holy, Everything that flows from it is unclean. Mm -hmm. Versus if we repent and surrender to God and His purposes, He makes our heart holy so that everything that flows from it is clean. It's yes, that is consistent with the, with the altar. I mean, again, because the altar that they had, you couldn't bring common things to it. <clears throat> now, I don't want to say that every and, sin we do is holy. I don't want to make that mistake. An example of that is... Um, I think of when Audrey gave her friend the Bible, mm -hmm. and there really wasn't, like her other friends that were there, they said, do you know about the Trinity, and do you know about Satan? And those were the two things that this unbelieving girl were told when she, was told when she was given the yeah. Bible. And yet it was, their, their hearts, I think, were in the right place, that they wanted yeah. her to know about the Bible and what it said, and God has used that. Yeah. So, so, so even our bad apologetics is sanctified from the motive of the heart. Good, which is another incentive to, to be evangelist. Yes. No, it's not. But, anyway. but we shouldn't be in the corner with a nosebleed because we don't think things through quite right. Or because we're not as smart as the person. Right, right. Open your mouth and let holiness proceed. Um, all right. Any, anything else? Anything else? Good. Talking good. about the, yeah. the feast and consecration. Mm -hmm and stuff, I think it's a parallel to the parable of the marriage supper, you mm. know, where he had, um, he invited all the guests, but they had to have the cloak, mm -hmm. and people who were there, some of them didn't have that, and right. cast them out, and so it's it's kind of that same, there's a, the exclusivity of it, mm -hmm. of, of, you know, the priesthood that... I think it's a good parallel to Christ that, you know, without him, like he said, without him, we can we can look a good game, talk a good game, mm -hmm. but 
without the holiness of him first, nothing is accepted. Yeah. Good. Uh, what was it? Uh, he, uh, suddenly she had a robe that was brighter than any she had ever seen. Where'd you get it? And, and the prince says, actually, it's mine. Is that Penelope Judd? Is that the, okay, I can remember. Shiloh's just on my head these days, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, unless we have the right robe, the right clothing, given to us by Christ, we're not going to be in the feast. We won't be able to have that fellowship. Good. Anything else? I bet whatever you say, I can find a Shiloh reference to it. It's... <laughs> All right, let's, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts to sanctify them, to set us apart. It's an incomplete work that we have right now. We run back to things that don't satisfy again and again and again, but thank you that your work is to glorify Christ in our hearts. Pray that we would be receptive, that we would be humbled to the work that you're doing, to remind us again and again in our stubbornness that Jesus is enough. He's enough. Thank you for these pictures that remind us that he's enough and that things don't make him unclean. He makes the unclean clean. We pray that you would make us Reflect that in the way we treat one another. In patience, in kindness, in humility, in gentleness. Let those things, which are good things, proceed from holy hearts that are consecrated to you by your work, not ours. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.